You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. There she is, Empress Jingu. There she is, your fighting monarch. The dream of a million girls who are more than pretty can come true in ancient Japan. For she is the goddess of war, Empress Jingu. Welcome back, friend. You are listening to For the Love of History. I'm TK, and as you can probably tell by my very bad remake of the Miss America theme song, I am so excited to bring you this episode. This is the first episode in the Empress Baddie series, and we're starting off with a really good one. The Japanese Empress... Jingu. Really happy about this topic and I was really excited to research it because I live in Japan and I love, love, love Japanese history. So I can't wait anymore. I've got to get started. So as always, grab a snack, settle in, do what you have to do to get comfy and let's get started. So I'm sure you're asking yourself, TK, why did you decide to choose Empress Jingu as your first Empress baddie? Well, I will tell you, friend. Number one, because I love Japanese history. And number two, I think that all of the mythology surrounding Japanese empresses starts with Empress Jingu. Because she's kind of like the King Arthur of Japan. And I'm not going to lie to you, I was talking to my friend about this topic. She's a super genius. And we were discussing it, and she said, you know what? Empress Jingu is a lot like King Arthur of Japan because some of the stuff about her, you know, is completely legend, and a lot of people think that She's just an amalgamation or a combination of a bunch of different historical figures because she lived such a long time ago and we don't really have many written records during the time she was alive. So I totally stole her analogy 100%. So thank you to my wonderful friend. So like I said, when it comes to Empress Jingu, there's a lot of debate on whether or not she was a real person in the first place. And there are three perspectives, the Japanese perspective, the Korean perspective, and the Western perspective. So first, we're going to talk about what is actually known about her. And then we're going to move on to the many, many legends that surround Empress Jingu. So what do we know? First of all, we know her birth name was Okinaga Tarashi, and she was born in 169 AD during what is called the Yayoi period in Japan. That was a long, long time ago, and the majority of the records we have about her were written after her death, but I digress. Her husband was Emperor Chuai, who died in 200 AD. Empress Jingu is considered the last ruler of the Yayoi period. She had a son, and his name was Ojin, and he would become Emperor Ojin, and we're going to talk about him more later. 
So that is basically all of the definitive, non-legendary, non-fantasy information that we have about her. Very short. I know, not a lot of information. We are going to talk about the legendary Empress Jingu, and we're going to do it in two parts. The human woman and the goddess, because they're almost like two different people. She was worshipped like a goddess, and there's a ton of temples and shrines dedicated to her, but she was also used as a political tool in the early Showa era, which is from 1926 to 1989. So let's begin with the legend of Empress Jingu the woman. I'm sure when I say Japan, there are two things that pop into your mind. Anime and samurai, right? Don't feel bad about it. I didn't know, you know, too much about Japan until I studied it. And, you know, that's what we're doing here today. We're learning. We're growing as people. (laughs) We're doing it together. And you're not wrong when you think of those two things. There were samurai and there is anime everywhere here. But there is a slightly skewed, slightly misleading view of samurai, especially when it comes to who could be a samurai. It was not just men, and it was only upper class people. You had to be a part of the class called the bushi, and there were female samurai, but they went by a different name called onanobugesha or onabugesha. And this directly translates to female warrior, and they were equals to the samurai. They were taught to protect themselves and their homes. In fact, they established schools for only girls to teach them these methods of protection and also how to fight with weapons. They mostly use the nagitana and the kaiken. So I have pictures of them up on the Instagram, so if you want to take a look. But just a brief description, the Nagitana was a long pole with a kind of spear at the end, like a little dagger at the end. And then the Kaiken was about a 10 to 8 inch dagger, like a short sword. Now in the beginning I said I wanted to start out with Empress Jingu because I feel that she is the first of the baddies, especially in Japan. And legend has it that Empress Jingu was the first Onabugeisha. After her husband was killed um, in 200 AD, she wanted to avenge his death. He was murdered by some people. And so she went out, she killed the people that were responsible, and then it's said that she traveled to Korea to conquer the quote-unquote promised land. And uh, it's said that she fought there for three years, all while pregnant for three years. Just more on that later. And also... Uh, legend has it that not a single drop of blood was shed during this three-year campaign. But this is where we come to a little bit of a problem. The Japanese and the Korean perspective are very different. The Japanese perspective is written in a set of books known as the Kiki. Uh, The first book is the Kojiki, and the second book is the Nihon Shoki. 
And both of these books are a mix of like actual historical events in Japan and also many legends. And it's difficult to know which is which in these two books. And so what I just told you about uh, Empress Jingu is written in those two books. But for the Korean perspective, some scholars say that there is no written evidence, no archaeological evidence or evidence of any kind of Empress Jingu's um, so-called campaign to conquer Korea. In fact, some people say that there's no evidence of a Japanese army coming to Korea at that time anyways. But I am no expert, so I'm going to leave it up to the experts uh, to decide what is true and what is not. And if you want to read some interesting literature about it, um, I left some links in the episode show notes for you. So please uh, feel free to go read those. But regardless if she actually conquered Korea or not, she became the actual or legendary first female samurai or Onabugeisha. And she's also credited with being the 15th ruler of Japan which I think is pretty cool, if I do say so myself. In the Kiki, in that set of two Japanese uh, historical and also legendary books, she's said to be a very competent leader and a great empress, and that's the information that we have about her as the legendary Jingu. But also, in those two books, we have a different side of Empress Jingu. We have the goddess side. As a lover of magic and fantasy and all of that other fun stuff, this part is very exciting for me. <laughs> and now we're going to talk about Empress Jingu as the goddess Jingu. So there's a lot of cool myths and legends surrounding her, but let's start with one of my favorites. It's so interesting. So as I said earlier, Empress Jingu was pregnant when she supposedly conquered Korea, but the conquering took three years. So how? <laughs> how did she not have a baby for three years? If I am not mistaken, I am not a doctor, do not take medical advice from me, but I do believe that the gestation period of a human baby is only about nine months, not three years. So how did she do it? Apparently, according to legend, she had sacred stones that she tied around her waist and she prayed to the gods not to give birth during her campaign, and you know what? It worked! So as I said before, uh, this legend was written in the Kiki, those two books. But there possibly could have maybe been a translation error, according to William George Ashton, a British diplomat, author, and scholar expert in language and the history of Japan and Korea. So what he said and suggested is that this can be interpreted as a period of less than nine months. The actual campaign was less than nine months, but the way it was written contains three years. But by years, he thinks that the writer meant seasons or three harvest seasons so we don't know 
I would like to believe it was three years because that sounds magical. And the people who wrote the Kiki also thought it made her sound magical. And the legend made her birth kind of sacred in a way, which led to a number of other mystical things happening. So her son that was born, um, his name was Ojin, he became the emperor. And because of his miraculous birth and how badass his mom was, he became known as Hachimen Shin, or the god of war. Empress Jingu would become a goddess in her own right, but before that, she was a kind of prophet or spokesperson for the gods. This is called a miko, which is a female mouthpiece slash messenger of the will of the gods. Uh, Japanese Shintoism and Buddhism is a polytheistic religion, so there's a, a ton of gods. So these miko had a lot of visions, and they were they would become divinely possessed, and Empress Jingu was no different. She had visions, which she used in a both spiritual and political way. As I said, she would later become a full goddess in a few religions, and eventually become the most iconic goddess of war. And her name changed a little bit to Jingu Kogo. The two religions that really started out worshipping her were the Sumiyoshi-gu and then the Hachiman-gu. Both of these religions were Shinto. And thank you so much to my wonderful boyfriend for looking up this information in Japanese because there was not a lot written on it in English and a surprising amount written in Russian, which questions, I have questions. But anyways, so in these two religions, she is known as the goddess of weapons, averting danger and illness, and also the goddess of war. The Hachiman faith was actually more focused on war, um, but that, that's a whole other topic all on its own. More recently, in the Kamakura era, which is from 1185 to 1333, there was a Buddhist sect group of people that considered her the Sacred Mother, and in fact called her Sacred Mother Great Bodhisattva. And she was the goddess of motherhood, childbirth, raising children, and also good fortune. So she had a little bit of an image change, no longer the goddess of war, but a uh, more kind and sweet, I guess you would say. And like I said, there are a bunch of shrines and temples dedicated to her. And uh, in the show notes, I'm going to put a list of the different shrines and temples. And then on the Instagram, I'll put up some pictures of these different shrines and temples. And there is, in fact, one in the prefecture that I live in. Whoop, whoop. But moving on. So I know what you're thinking. TK, you also mentioned she was used as a political tool. Well, I did. You're a great listener. Congratulations to you. Thank you for reminding me. So in 1902, there was a big alliance that was formed called the Anglo-Japanese Alliance. 
and to commemorate this alliance, there was a portrait of the British goddess Britannica and the Japanese goddess Yamato Hime that was created. So for like propaganda posters and different commercials and things like that, they would have these two representative goddesses of these two countries doing friendly things to show this alliance. And the goddess Yamato Hime was created from a combination of Empress Himiko, which we're going to talk about, I'm sure, in the Empress Batty series, and also our wonderful girl, Empress Jingu. But even earlier than this, in the Showa era, her legend was really pushed in elementary schools at the time to justify imperialism in Japan. And she was used as a kind of nationalistic symbol to unite Japan. And her image appeared on cigarette packages and kimono patterns and all sorts of commercials and propaganda things. I found some of the old cigarette images and I'll post them on the Instagram. They're really, really cool. But unfortunately, I haven't been able to find any kimono patterns. I will continue the search and if I find some, I will upload them. So very briefly, I just want to talk about the Western perspective of Empress Jingu. She didn't really fit with what Western scholars thought to be a typical Japanese woman of her time. The study of the Onabugeisha was not as popular as the study of samurai and it just kind of got swept under the historical rug so unfortunately there's not a lot of research that's done about her it's a combination of this kind of sweeping under the rug that i just said and also the fact that her story happened so long ago and the majority of the information that we have about her is written long after she died but before we end I want to make sure that I tell you the most important thing about Empress Jingu. The thing that I think is the most important. Whether she was real or simply the King Arthur of Japan, she has had a huge impact on Japanese culture, mythology, history, and religion, which remains to this day. And I think that's way more important than finding out if she was a real person or not. And finally, finally, I'm gonna leave you with my little nugget of interestingness. I don't know if interestingness is a word, but we're gonna use it today. In the Meiji era, which started in 1868, the government, along with the emperor, was trying to create a pure line of succession, or more specifically of male succession, because uh, the Japanese throne is supposed to be passed down from male to male. And there have been eight Japanese empresses. So what the emperor did at the time was just kind of clean up the family tree a little bit and take her name off the list so she was no longer the 15th empress or ruler of Japan. But you know what? By that time, she was already too famous and too well-loved and there were too many shrines and temples worshipping her for their attempt to be successful. So... If we learn anything from today, we learn be like Empress Jinju. And if people are trying to wipe you out of something, don't let them. I don't know if that makes sense, but it makes sense to me. So that's all I got for you. 
Thank you so much for joining me today, friend. And as always, if you have time or you feel so inclined, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you would like, share the podcast with your friends, with your family, with your cats, a stranger at the supermarket, but don't get too close to that stranger. (laughs) And if you listen to the podcast on your mobile device, uh, why don't you take a little screenshot and tag the For the Love of History Instagram. I would love to see who's listening and what you think about it. It would be great. I would love to see it. And with that, I think it's time to wrap up. Stay safe, and I will see you next week when we talk about drag herstory. Bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. <laughs>